Yay. Whoops. Can you put it back on the first one somehow? No, not that one. I better leave it alone until you guys get it. Let's see, did I hear that? Steph, welcome back, you guys. Metellis, glad she's here. You walked in on your own steam, Steph? Stephanie, you walk in on your own steam? I'm just checking, that's all. That's good. All right. Good morning. Philippians, if you're uh, one that likes to take the Bible out of the pew and look, it's page 570, the fourth chapter of Philippians. And uh, I have to come clean with you about something. I've preached over 100 sermons since I've been here, in fact, way more than that. And uh, last week I said, uh, you have to forgive me because it was the first time in all of those sermons I dedicated a whole sermon to the subject of... Yeah, money, tithing, giving, whatever. I didn't say tithing, though, did I, James Donnell? I didn't say tithing. Money. And so since it's been hundreds of sermons, you have to forgive me for one more week. I was all bottled up, and it all has to come out. So here it comes, right? Because last week, what I tried to speak into was our mindset. And why I'm not into and I do not like and I don't think it's honoring God to try to twist people's arms to make them give money and put high pressure sales tactics on them and things like that. It's got to be something that comes from the heart. And a person who knows Jesus, there's an excitement about that. So years ago, I heard a sermon by a great uh, conservative Baptist preacher named Harold Fickett, and it was 10 points on Divine healing. It was such a great sermon. I remember it to this day, but I'm not sharing it with you. But it inspired me to do a 10-point sermon on giving. What do you think? Nah, no, so really? So those of you who are visitors and say, oh, see, this is why I never want to go to church. They're always talking about money. You need to know you've missed hundreds of sermons where I didn't do it. All right, so because I'm not into that. But the text brought us to a subject of giving and sacrifice, and so it's appropriate for us to look at that again. So one, um, I'm speaking about that on the second time, and did want to encourage us as growing disciples. And by the way, I was hoping when I did that, if you are already one who has settled that issue in your life, you've developed those disciplines as a disciple, that you would be encouraged that uh, you're not off track and that other saints should be encouraged to do the same. And uh, that is what happened. I got feedback that uh, people who have learned this lesson uh, were encouraged. In fact, I'm going to share one of their stories at the end because it speaks into the life of the disciple and how God shows himself as faithful. Gesundheit. I want to coach newbies, if you're new in the faith, to... uh, Open your heart to learn and to reach out to find God's instruction in this and see if he doesn't, in fact, build your faith because of it. I'm encouraging anyone who has lapsed on the subject. That does happen to people sometimes. Ever notice that? Especially when a financial crisis hits. We feel like we can't probably cope with that and add that. And so, and you know, I don't think God's sitting there judging you. And I'm going to give some coaching about how to get rebooted if necessary and not be carried around by false guilt. I think a lot of you Christians are good at false guilt. Yeah, you have little pocketfuls of false guilt, right? And then some of you don't have enough guilt. I need to talk to you about that too, but that's another subject. 
And then I want us to, uh, what was that? I'm not staring at James. So. <clears throat> Sorry, brother, you, you set yourself up. And I want us to have a correct New Testament view of giving because maybe you've encountered this. Basically, human nature is kind of stubborn. You ever notice that? Have you, anybody aware of the fact that we're sinners? You know, left to yourself, you're going to kind of push back against God because we don't want him to have ownership in our life. Isn't that true? Uh, I guess. Yes, it's true. Even if you won't be honest with me, it's true. But the new man in us, the person of Jesus, wants us to be transformed. And he's, he's constantly prodding us in that direction. In fact, that's where our source of joy and excitement comes as disciples, is cooperating with that new nature. It's kind of fun. I have found it to be fun. I was sharing with the, uh, the athletes uh, from Harmony on Friday night that my life, from the time I got rescued out of the drug culture and the craziness, with all the fun I thought I was having, I would never want to trade what I was doing back then for what I'm doing now, because I've had far more fun as a disciple. And can I be honest? I've never been bored since. Well, anyway, one day Jesus is traveling around with his disciples. They go up to the temple. They're having discussions about the beauty of it and what the value of physical buildings. You know, you've got to use them. You've got to live in houses. And it's nice to have places to meet. But Jesus made it clear, yes, even this glorious temple is going to get annihilated here. You know how God doesn't need anything. Doesn't need anything. But while they're having that discussion, they're watching a a parade of people going into the temple and there's a box there for donations. And as all these well-to-do Pharisees are coming along, they're throwing big wads of money in there and making sure everybody knows, praise the Lord, you know, drop. Praise the Lord, drop. You know, make sure everybody sees it. Big wads. And then comes this little old lady who is a widow. She's on a fixed income, and Social Security hasn't paid up for the last five months. She has the equivalent of one penny, which back in that culture was enough to buy some food. And she goes by and throws it all in the box. And some of you know this story, right? Because Jesus says to his disciples, you saw all that grandiose giving. None of them came close. None of them came close to what she put in. Because out of her poverty... She gave all that she had. What possesses a person to do something like that? And you know what I find fascinating is that Jesus didn't jump up and, you know, there were times he interfered in people's lives. Have you ever noticed that? You read the Gospels, he got in people's faces. He didn't jump up and rebuke her. What are you doing? Maybe because her hard attitude blessed him as well as his Father in heaven. And I think that's really what it happened. That is what, in fact, happened. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you this 10-point sermon in high speed. Everybody said, yay, because I want to go to a picnic today. High speed. I want to start with the first three points, which have to do it. Let me just give you a breakdown. And if you're a note-taker, I'm going to give you all the fill-ins here. And uh, you'll see the verses on the screen as we go. The first three have to do with what we talked about last week. Is It's an issue of the heart first. Giving comes from our worldview. 
Because if I believe that the spiritual world is real and that eternity matters and lives are hanging in the balance and there's a heaven and hell and there's a God who's going to assess our lives, which, by the way, every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Alive in Christ or not, it won't matter. We're going to give an account, right? See, I'm telling you, our besetting sin today is unbelief. We don't really believe the gospel. But she believed the gospel, and giving comes from our worldview. Her worldview was the gospel. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Anybody recognize this? Jesus said this. He's pretty important in my book. Where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust... See what a bad habit I have? I'm looking backwards. What's the matter with me? Now I can look that way. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. You're not allowed to look back. You have to look this way. For where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there will your... By the way, can I just say, we invest in the gospel with our actions as well as our money. It's clear who are, who are the disciples who really think that what happens in the kingdom, the advancing of the kingdom, which happens, the plan that God has is the church. There's no plan B. Whatever shape it takes. More broken than others, highly successful, places where the gospel's going like crazy, places like America where it's moving very slowly and we're actually losing ground compared to the population statistics. We're not growing as fast as that is. Kingdom-minded. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, Paul said, that now at last you've revived your concern for me. You've, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. You know what the word for concerned is there? I like this. It's the same word that is used when he says earlier, have this mindset in you. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you remember that part? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself. Remember all that? That mindset, that's the word that is used when Paul says, you've had me in mind, you had concern for me. And believers have a mindset, a worldview, that recognize that there is an eternity. That's number one. Number two, this is kind of a review of last week, right? Second one, giving meets genuine needs. Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. Whether it was his specific needs that were hardship or whether it's the support of gospel missions, whatever it might be, it's an act of demonstrable love when I share out of my possessions with others. It's an act of demonstrable love. The kind of Christianity that millennials are looking for today are those that are going to meet real needs the hungry of the world, the AIDS epidemic, go down the list with all of these crises, uh, the, the uh, sex trade business that we just heard a lecture about a few weeks ago at, at Goodwill. Christians putting their hands to those pressing needs. Here's the way Paul describes it in the book of 2 Corinthians. By the way, if you want to see one of the most crystal clear, extensive teachings on the subject of giving... If you don't think it's in the Bible, you need to go to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. 
and read through those two chapters. Here's one of the statements he makes. The ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Do you remember last week I mentioned that the people in Macedonia, in their poverty, begged, begged the, the apostles for the opportunity to share with the needy in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was under pressure, and so they were choosing to rise to the occasion. They begged for the privilege of being part of that. You realize you're, 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 you're paying it forward. You know, the ultimate IRA in heaven, you're paying it forward. And they begged for that privilege. Okay. The ministry is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. People are watching, and they rejoice in it, or they honor God because, oh, those people mean it. They really mean it. By the way, we made a decision on the spur of the moment in our business meeting. When, when was that? It seems like seven years ago. No, it was just a few weeks back, right? And we made a decision to support our missionaries at our old amount, and we stepped up to support the Zwarts who needed to get back on the field. I don't know if you saw their newsletter it all came in, and it wasn't all because of us. We were part of that, though. Part of stepping out in faith, and other people did the same thing. They're going back to the field on time. I thought that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Don't get too excited here. This is the church. So, I'm kidding. Yes, it was very cool. Giving shows wise planning, the ultimate... IRA. Here's what Paul says. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do justly as purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. I hate that. I hate crabby givers. God does too. Or controlling givers. That's my money. You better spend it the right way. By the way, we're called to be disciples and stewards, yes. But I've said it before, when I give, it's God's. I can't wait to get it out of my hands because then it's out of my control and I don't want to maintain any control. If that's your attitude, you're not really giving it. You still own it, or at least you think you do. We'll give you your check back. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? Amen. You know, the word there for cheer cheerful is hilarious. That's what some giving is, really hilarious. But anyway, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take money from a grouch too. <laughs> and it's to your benefit to learn about it. So that's the mentality. That's the, the mindset that we've been talking about last week. So now let me move on to the next four points, right? The next four points about this. So it's giving comes from our worldview, giving meets genuine needs, giving shows wise planning, and now it is a sanctifying grace. Did you know that? Just like any other means of grace in your life, the reading of the word, worshiping together as saints, which, by the way, we so devalue, I, God wonders when he should show up. The ministry of worship, the ministry of being in the word, the, uh, the, the ministry of witness when you get the opportunity, the ministry of true fellowship, which isn't talking about the ball game. It's talking about Jesus. One of the most encouraging things that I've heard since I've been here was Mike Hopper came to me and said, you know what? I hear people hanging out after church talking about spiritual stuff. 
Well, you better watch out. You just might get radical around here. Hurry up. Go ahead. You, you want to... You, anyway, never mind. <laughs> get me preaching. Anyway, so... Giving is a grace, number four on your list. Giving is a grace. When Paul says in chapter four of Philippians, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, that's a promise to disciples. I can't do anything. I can't walk through walls. I can't walk on water. But I can do whatever God's calling me to endure and get through and make happen because of the grace that comes to me by my obedience. Look at what 2 Corinthians 8 says. Paul calls it a grace. Brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches in Macedonia. We talked about them last week. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. How did that? You know what? I have met people, some of the most tight, uh, budgeted people ever who have an extraordinary gift of giving. I don't know how they do it. Guess what? They know how they do it. They don't. God does it. They listen to the prompting. They give. And I'm going, how can you afford to do this? And God continues to meet their need. It's astounding. It's not always because a person has lots of resources. Many of the best givers I've ever met are kind of limited in their resources. So, their grace that they receive, one wish, we wish to make known to you what the grace of God that has been given in the churches of Macedonia. It's a grace to be able to give and serve God with our substance. Number five, this is about the sanctifying influence. The first three ones were about a mindset. Now we're talking about the influence that giving has on us. One, it's a grace. Two, it produces contentment that's almost a dirty word in our culture isn't it how come you're all so quiet do you feel like I'm scolding you I'm not gonna I'm not gonna check your bank books I don't even check your giving records here you know that I refuse to I refuse to don't want to know Giving produces contentment. Paul said this in the passage we're in, verse 11 through 12. Not that I speak from want. I have learned to be content. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled, going hungry, having abundance, suffering need. God uses the, this discipline of giving to wean us off our discontent. You don't... Who was it? Who was that guy Wright, he, the dry humorist? Anyway, Steve Wright? Stephen Wright, right? You don't want everything. Where are you going to put it? Three of you got it. You don't want everything. Where are you going to put it? The problem with stuff is it demands more stuff. You know, I used to think about this because someday if I ever get to have a little lakeside place, I want a little pontoon boat. But anyway, everybody wants to get more things, right? So you want to get a boat. By the way, if you guys have boats, God bless you. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. So you get a boat, 
but then you don't want your boat sitting out in the ultraviolet rays. So then you have to build a shed for the boat to go in. And in order to keep the boat out of the ultraviolet rays and get it to the water, you've got to have a trailer. And then to have a trailer, you've got to have a bigger truck that can pull the trailer that will pull the boat that's in the shed out of the ultraviolet rays. And one thing leads to another. Before you know it, you've got a whole kingdom built up just for the boat. You all know the story about boats, right? The happiest day in a man's life and the second happiest day. Yeah, the first, the first one, no, the second happiest day is when he buys his boat, and the happiest day is when he sells it. Huh? I'm praying for you, brother. The Holy Spirit told me all about your sin. And, uh, <laughs> hey, I don't know if you're not used to church, but if you think this is like, what kind of a strange church? It is a strange church. This is us. And, uh, but it's Okay. If you can't have fun in the presence of the Lord and with his people, you might as well give it up. Hey, let me tell you something here. We're, I got a few friends that are... Sorry, that's... Oh, I hate when this happens. Little racks that don't work. Um, I've got some friends here that are working through a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And uh, I don't want to talk much about that. Yeah, I hear the Uggs. <laughs> some of the guys that are working on it going, I hate this, it's killing me, you know, it's that kind of stuff. I go, thank you, Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> but there's a chapter in here talking about, you know, we love end time stuff and the mark of the beast and all this stuff in the book of Revelation. No, not me neither. But the beast today, Peter Scazzaro writes this. Just listen to this for a second. The message of Revelation is that in all history, in all parts of the world, believers must resist and overcome the beast expressed through the culture of their generation. It calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints, Revelation 13.10. It's essential we clearly see how the beast threatens the church and absorbs Christians in our day. As Oz Guinness wrote, Due to the combination of capitalism, technology, modern communications, the most powerful civilization ever... A global culture has been formed. This global culture is the beast that threatens to swallow us in these days. The core values of the beast in 21st century scream at us from computers, billboards, televisions, DVDs, music schools, newspapers, magazines, iPods. Here's what the beast tells us. Listen, happiness is found in having things. You should get all you can for yourself as quickly as you can. Security is found in money, power, status, and good health. By the way, quickly as you can means you do it on credit even if you never pay it back. Security is found in money, power, status, and good health. Above all, you should seek all the pleasure, convenience, and comfort you can. God is irrelevant to everyday life. Christianity is just one of many spiritual alternatives. There are no more moral absolutes. Whatever is true for you is what is true. And you're not responsible for anyone but yourself, and this life on earth is all there is. Hmm. You don't suppose any of that has crept into the family of God, do you? That we have bought in. So the point is, giving can produce contentment because it's designed to wean me off the beast's thinking. Having everything doesn't make you happy. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever observed a spoiled child? 
Why are you all snickering? You know some? Everything they have, you find out they're never happy. Can't be happy. But people who have been disciplined and weaned off of that constant getting, when they finally get something they've been anticipating, oh, the joy of it is so full, isn't it? So, it produces contentment. Number six, giving is, believe it or not, Christ-like. Look at this verse. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. We get the ultimate riches, glory and heaven and sanctification and everything else that he gives us, but he had to become poor. In fact, it's very much the nature of God. Is it not God so loved the world that what? You all know that. He gave. So obviously, to be like him, I need to work this, this grace into my life. If I haven't done so already, I need to work it into my life in order to manifest that I'm really one of his disciples. So number seven, here's where it starts getting fun. Faith building. Giving is faith building. I think I might have referenced this last time. Let me get, put that one down. Giving is faith building. It's kind of an acid test from my chair because, like I've said at other times, I may not have sufficient faith to know that God is going to work in a powerful way in my family or some other endeavor that I've got in mind. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether I'm going to get that answer. I don't know if I have enough faith for that. Why don't you come and teach Sunday school? You know, why don't you come and do this? Why don't you try preaching? Why don't you consider whether you're called to minister? I don't know if I have faith for that. But you have absolute control. You don't need a whole lot of faith to just say, here's what I have in my wallet. Here's 10%. This belongs to God. Oh, I gave the answer away. Whoops! I can control that. It's an acid test of whether uh, I want to obey God in other areas of my life. I don't need tons of faith to do that. And God speaks to us and says, will you try me? Will you test me? I got to take you for a minute, explain some, some contextual stuff from the Old Testament if I could. Now, you all know, and this is where, why I love to argue about this, because people go, thank God we're New Testament Christians. You know, as if the Old Testament God isn't the same one in the New Testament and as if Jesus is totally disconnected from the Old. And that's not true. But look, we're not under the laws of Israel, okay? We're not. And in the Old Testament, the children of Israel had to tithe to, toward the temple or toward the sanctuary, and that money was given to the who knows who? No. The Levites, yes. The Levites were the assistant helper. They're like the trustees and deacons, you know what I mean? Help run the place. And then all that came into the uh, Levites, they took a tithe out of that, and that's what supplied the needs of the priests. So it made perfect sense. It's not unlike how churches operate, right? We give uh, you know, to, to the local storehouse, if you will, to the local 
place that we worship, and some of that is used for missions, and some of that is used to supply the needs of preachers or whatever it might happen to be. But here's what the scripture tells us. God was trying to communicate to his people to lean on him and trust him, and he said, if you will honor me by doing this, I will make sure your crops don't fail. I will make sure your, your uh, cattle give birth. You will have plenty. Those Levites never had to worry. 10% was more than they could handle. And 10% of what they were given was more than the priests could handle until they started robbing God. And you can read about that in the book of Malachi, but I just want to show you this one passage. Look at this language. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that I may, there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Anybody want to try putting God to the test in this generation and think he'll pull that off? Yeah, he will. See, I think this is why my title was a 10-point sermon on the divine principle, not a law, not a law. You don't have to worry about God being skin flinty and he's like, ooh. But there's a principle here, and I want us to see it, that it transcends the law, as a matter of fact. He's inviting us to have our faith built up by trusting him. So that is the grace side. So let's ask ourselves now, how do you go forward in this? Suppose you've never learned any of this before. I'm just going to coach you how to try it, how to step forward. So the first thing is, uh, what are we up to? Number eight, thank you. Giving works first as a habit. Giving works first as a habit, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses that people don't even sometimes know were there. The early church was getting itself together. It was developing structure. It was growing. And Paul tried to coach the saints not to do last-minute panic attack offerings. Okay? Here's what he teaches. Now, concerning the collection of the, for the saints, I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also... On the first day of every week, that's, by the way, the day they gathered, that Sunday, the saints gathered out of the world to worship. On the first day of every week, let each of you put aside and save as he may prosper. As God blesses you, you shave some off and bless God. That's all he's saying, that no collections be made when I come. A consistent habit gets developed. I really like that because then we don't have to have panic attacks, as I said, and try to gather up funds unless there's an absolute critical mass emergency. I'm not trying to harp on old things, but one of the things I determined years ago up north is to just teach what the Bible says a disciple should do, and then I expect the saints to start doing it. And it's not wrong to remind once in a while, but we did not allow a lot of extra appeals and fundraising or anything else. Let God's people honor him and see if he doesn't, in fact, bless. And then when there really is a crisis, which we had up there, we had a major flood, we raised in an instant over $25,000, I believe it was, one Sunday morning to meet the needs of people hurting because we didn't pester them at other times. Can I just be blunt? Is that all right? You want to fire me now? Later? Okay. <laughs> okay. 
The point is, as disciples, we need to have our faith grown. It helps us to grow. Faith, it's faith building. It works as a habit. Number two, this is my favorite, because I thought this was really clever, and for me, that's a big deal. Uh, oh, no, you don't want to see that yet. Sorry. Giving has a MSRP. Giving has an MSR. You all know what that is. You ever shop for a car? What is it? Manufacturer's suggested retail price. He's suggesting something. Not out of law. Oh, no, no. That's Old Testament. We don't have to worry about that. Let me go way, way back. Does anybody remember the stories uh, in Genesis? By the way, if you haven't read Genesis, I'm back in Genesis now. I'm going to go through the whole Bible again. I'm still in Genesis. I've gone about a third of the way through the Bible, according to my Kindle. Genesis is full of foundational, profound stuff. It really is. And in that story, <clears throat> we have the, the account of the founding fathers of the faith, if you will starting with the one who was selected out to bring the Messiah into the world. Anybody remember his name? Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob was the one that inherited the blessing, and through his line, the Messiah was going to come, through David, etc., right? Anybody know anything about Jacob's upstanding personality? His name means usurper or deceiver. He was a sneak. Right? He robs his, um, his brother of his birthright, tricks his father. I mean, he, you read this stuff and you go, what the? I'll tell you what it tells you. It tells you the gospel. We're messed up, friends. Hello? Anybody want to say amen? Can I get a witness? Uh, you're messed up. You are messed up. I'm messed up. You got it? We're messed up. Grace transforms us. That's what's cool. Jacob, he's in the process of, re, of inheriting the promises. He, he, he uh, alienates his brother. He runs for his life. He's coming back to the promised land. He thinks his brother's going to kill him. He's freaking out, right? Read the stories. It's great stuff. But as he's leaving to run away from his brother, he comes to a place where he spends the night and senses the presence of God. And God says, I'm going to do the promises to your father Abraham through you. And he goes, whoa, this is a holy place. You know, if God shows up, you just might have goosebumps on occasion. And like, whoa, that was different. You know, you come to... Okay, I give up. Anyway. Where's... Build our faith, God. Help us. I want those there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for helping me. I'm so bad. Anyway, Jacob, the conniver, makes a deal with God. Hey, if you'll bless me, I'll serve you. I'll be one of your disciples. And guess what he throws in? Anybody know? Everything I make, I'll give you a tenth. Where did he get that idea? There's no law written yet. Moses isn't here yet. There's no law. We're not under the old... Okay, we're not under the law. Okay. Where did he get that idea? I'll tell you where he got it. He got it from 
way back from the early fathers, from the time they started sacrificing animals to cover their shame. All the way back there, giving to God was a habit for those who served him. And Abraham comes on the scene. And if you know anything about Abraham, he had his nephew Lot who lived in Sodom. And you know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? But what happened in that story is some local kings were at war. They... They took Lot and his family captive, ran off, and Abraham, with a small army of about 200 people, from what I remember, goes after this huge army, and God gives that army into his hands, and he whacks them and comes back with all the spoils of that battle. Abraham, the patriarch, you never saw him in that light, have you? A warrior, comes back with all the spoils. And as he's coming to the city of Salem, Melchizedek, the high priest, the king of that town, who is also a priest of the Most High God, comes out to meet Abraham and bless him. And when he did, Abraham worships God. This is in the book of Hebrews. It's a recap. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham after he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned what? A tenth of all the spoils. Where did that come from? It's a divine principle, friends. It goes way back. And what is it? It's a training ground. Start somewhere. Take baby steps. You know, put the, put the training wheels on your bicycle. That's all it is. It's just helping you get started. Weaning my hands off stuff and money. Learning, learning to become content and enjoy investing in my future IRA and in delighting in God like that widow who must have been out of her mind, but Jesus didn't think so. And look what else it says. I love this little sidebar. That Melchizedek, first of all, by the translation of his name, was king of righteousness. Melech Zedak. Righteousness, Melech is king. The king of righteousness. Gee, I think I know somebody by that name. How about you? And he's also the king of Shalom, the prince of peace. Without father, mother, genealogy, neither having a beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. It doesn't mean literally Melchizedek didn't have a father and mother. What he's saying is we have no record. And that serves as a type, as an illustration of the great king of glory, Jesus Christ, who is declared to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Woo! Put that in your... Well, I don't know if you smoke a pipe. But anyway... So whenever I get into this, like, well, we're not under law. You're right, you're not under law. You can avoid being blessed if you want. Have at it. Plenty of people do that. Personally, I'd rather walk in the place of blessing. How about you? Now, let me just encourage you. That was giving has a manufactured, suggested retail price. Start with 10% if you never did it. Let me encourage you. I learned this principle from Bill Hybels one time. Are you, are you challenged with your budget? For those of us who struggle with uh, budget, a great idea. He taught, he learned this as a kid, and he applied it, and it worked. 
He said, you get 100% of what you earn. You take 10% and give it to God. You take 10% and you pay yourself. Put it in savings and live on the 80%. Oh, well, I can't. Yeah, I'll bet you you can. Might take some work. And maybe I'm not ready for... Then don't worry about starting. Start somewhere. Whether it's 10% or not, I don't care. I don't think God's sitting there like, oh, oh, come on. He's probably saying, that's pretty good. Come on, keep coming, come on. All right, you're up to 7%. Dude, okay, keep coming. You, you, might, you might get your teenagerhood here. I'm serious about this. Yeah. And you can't make anybody do anything. I have no interest in that. But it's for our benefit and for our instruction. We have to start somewhere. Pay your bills. If you're in debt and you've... Uh, you know, he racked up stuff like that. You need to pay back. I don't think it, it's honoring to God not to. And so if you have to hold back or, or try a little mini tithe first to get things in order, then do that. But God is trying to move you forward to increase your joy and your contentment and blessing. This last thing I want to say. Yeah, I did. I did got, get through this pretty quick. Not bad. Last point. Giving has a... No, giving has many witnesses. Many witnesses. I think there's a bunch of people probably in this room, the builders especially, who have over the years given faithfully and seen God show himself faithful, right? Uh-oh. Right? Oh, whoa, okay, so... Somebody in our congregation wrote me immediately after last Sunday and thanked me for the message and has a personal testimony. I promise to keep this incognito. So I will not say who it is. And I won't, won't even tell you enough information so you can figure it out. And if you do, I want that brother to be assured that he will not lose his reward. <laughs> you know how everybody's like, oh, I don't want anybody to know what I give because if somebody finds out, I'm going to lose my reward. You know, it's like, that's legalism. No, not going to lose your reward. So this brother shared with me that as raising children, uh, they struggled financially. I think most of us who have raised children understand that. And also had a priority in their lives. They wanted their kids to go to a Christian college. And then they had an incredible, difficult setback in their family, and their, their, their income was reduced uh, about a third backwards. And somewhere in that process, as uh, much time was spent in prayer, this brother was asking God for his help in continuing to maintain his commitment to provide not only in the kingdom payments in terms of church, but with getting his kids that education. He resolved to continue to give to his work as I had always done, I'm, I'm quoting now, and to leave it to God for the rest. And God provided in ways I never thought were possible. Money came from various sources. Through careful financial planning, I was able to fulfill the goal of them going and completing their baccalaureates at Christian colleges. Never forget the day I wrote my last check for a tuition. I did a happy dance and rejoiced that God was so faithful and provided for us in so many ways, far beyond our expectations. I want to see that dance, by the way. Okay. Isn't that cool, though? 
He's not saying, oh, and I was suffering and I said, oh, Lord, please pay attention to how much I have sacrificed. He, he did a happy dance. God provided far beyond expectations. And today I praise God I'm in better position, able to continue to give to his work, even beyond what his word instructs. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you one more story and then I'll let us go. And I am losing my notes. My point is to tell you the truth. Your job is to decide whether you want to obey. The only two things I have to do, God made me, God gave me incredible peace a few weeks ago. I desperately needed it and told me, your job is to tell the truth and to pray. So that's what I'm doing, telling the truth and I'm going to pray. But it's up to you what you do. And nobody's sitting in judgment, and God is merciful, and he wants to train us and build us up in our most holy faith. Let me tell you this story about a group of people in a foreign culture. This would be a tribal group who had come to faith, had finally gotten the word in their own language, and the missionaries were pulled out of the area. So they're all on their own. And they're studying the Bible and they're having worship services on the first day of the week and they're praising Jesus and they're growing as disciples and they're farmers and they're growing their crops and they find in the scripture this principle. So they take a tenth of all their harvest and lay it on the mountainside as a gift to God because they didn't know any better. I'm sure God hated that they did that. No. Not at all. I thought it was fascinating that without instruction, with simply having the word of God and knowing Jesus and having the Holy Spirit, they came to a point of a percentage of giving because it's a divine principle, pre-law and post. God uses it to train us to make his kingdom go forward, not because he needs anything from us, because he invites us to participate and save up in that wonderful IRA that I'm going to cash in on one day. And so will you. Amen? Amen? Let's stand together and be dismissed. Thank you for enduring my instruction and dropping my notes and whatever else. <clears throat> Thanks for a beautiful day, God. One of the millions of gifts that you give to us. Let us enjoy the good world and the good things that you've given us. Keep us from the evil because we are broken and the world is broken and outside of Jesus we're even worse. So keep your people, put your angels around us, lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Help us to um, get down into our DNA, first and foremost, the heart to honor you and believe you like it really does exist, all of this stuff that you tell us. To have the spirit of that widow first, and then to grow as we learn how to give if we've never tried it, and if we have been doing it, to be sustained in that, and delighted to honor you. Fill us with joy and contentment. That's what you had in mind. Help us to manifest the very nature of Jesus. Let it overflow to thanksgivings wherever we might be. In the great name of Jesus, we praise you for our time today. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Happy are you if you do it. See you.